Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. It was both season in the coast range of Oregon. My dad. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Dad decided that he wanted to take my mom bow hunting and out for a cool experience in the woods. It was evening and he decided to park his car up on a landing and watch the sunset and stars with my mom. They were asleep in the back of the wagon and were woke suddenly by a guy screaming and revving his old K5 while his bright lights were directed at my dad's car. The guy was screaming at my old man to get the F out here, you picked the wrong road to be on. I'm going to blow your F head off. My dad whispered to my mom to stay covered up and not to make any noise or movements. My old man had been in special forces and had also been an MP. He didn't however have anything except his bow. The stranger wasn't having any of it. I told you to get the F out here and I mean it. Now. My dad yelled out the window all right man, I'm getting out. He slowly got out of the car while keeping the car between them. 
My mom said she could hear the guy work the bolt on his rifle and just knew my dad was dead. I don't know exactly what was said, but my mom said she heard my dad start talking to the guy, calm as could be. She said she heard the guy and said he sounded like he was drunk or on drugs. Eventually my dad was able to talk the guy down and he eventually left. After they watched the guy drive up to the next landing and sit there, my dad got in his car and told my mom to just stay put in the back and unt the blanket while he drove out of there. My mom said that as soon as they took off they saw the guy start speeding their way. It turned into a car chase on a logging road with a long track to get back to the main road. She said it took forever for my dad to lose him but eventually they did. Said she has never been more scared of anything in her life. I don't know if anyone believes in Bigfoot and I'm not sure if I do but I wanted to tell this story. I never tell people cause I know they won't believe me and I don't want to be labeled a liar but here we go. So about 5 maybe 6 years ago me and my friend snuck out of my house late one night and my house had a river behind it and a forest across the road in front. So we go out and walk around smoking a cigar I stole from my dad. We walked around for about an hour. By then it would have been around 3 am. As we got closer to my house walking along the forest line, I turned to my friend and looked past him into the forest. About 10 feet past the tree line I see a big human shaped thing with no neck or a very muscular neck. And big shoulders. It was looking out at us. I froze and said to my friend do you see that he looks over. And starts running as fast as he could and so did I. When we got back to my house we called it an alien. Didn't know what else to call it. It didn't look human. Wasn't till about 3 years later that I told my brother about it and my dad and I described it to them. It was big about 8 feet tall, had a black body with a gold color head. So my brother looks up what I saw in Google and something called Old Yellow Top comes up described as a Bigfoot with dark body and yellow head and what makes it even more crazy is the sighting are in Ontario, Canada. And I also live in Ontario, Canada. I think the first sighting is from early 1900s and me and my friend both 20 years old now still to this day swear we saw something in the forest that night. All I know is I never felt that kind of fear before and I don't think I ever will again. We were stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. This was back in 1990. I was still a newbie on my first deployment. I had been in the army for 11 months and was still considered in the training phase of my military occupation specialty. I was 19, and there were six other guys out with me on a mission, and I was the designated driver. This was a training mission from hell. We were on a recon mission for some reason or another, and we were out of sight of earshot on the countryside. As we were, you get used to seeing wildlife skitter past and hearing it as well. A deer would constantly amble across the roads, rabbits, raccoons, jackrabbits, and all sorts of birds would be seen very frequently. I was driving the lead vehicle, a two-man jeep with all sorts of radios. They were not much for comfort, but they sure got the job done. I drove us down a long stretch of road, and in my rearview mirror, I noticed something large and black run off to the left side of the road into the woods. Once we got past where it had vanished, I thought nothing of it other than that it must have been a deer or something. After all, it was the middle of the afternoon, and I had seen all sorts of wildlife out here before. It wasn't until the sun had started to set again that I now noticed it. I looked out to my right and saw a large black figure, maybe 500 feet away. It was shambling out of the woods and into a clearing. It was roughly man-sized, but it did not walk like a man. It walked slowly and awkwardly, almost as if it were hurt. It was hunched over, and the way it moved its arms, I couldn't quite see what its hands were like. All I could make out was that it was black but had no discernible clothing or anything on it. It also appeared to be extremely muscular. I sat there in awe for a moment, pondering what it could be. I decided to pull over and find out. I stopped the jeep, turning off the engine. There were no other vehicles in sight, so I thought it was safe to get out. 
I pulled my rifle off my shoulder and slung it. I grabbed my field radio, switching it on, king to all of us, hey, is anyone else seeing this? I whispered. All the radios buzzed with static for a moment, and then one of my squad mates answered, yeah, I don't know, but you should see it too. I said as I walked around the jeep to get a better look. He told me he couldn't see it and said, what is it? Is it on the road? He had asked. No, it's in the clearing to my right. It's walking right there towards the tree line. I'm gonna try and get closer, I said. Wait, they told me. I gave a few quick glances back and forth behind me, checking to make sure nobody else was there, and then I carefully crept towards the clearing. I finally got up to the tree line, looking through the trees, it was gone. My squad mate appeared over the radio, hey, I can't see it. Where is it? I don't know, it was right here, I swear, I'd whispered back. That's not possible, I wouldn't have seen it. Well, I'm telling you it was here, I said, pulling my field radio off my belt and switching it back off. We sat there a few moments, waiting to see if it would reappear in the clearing. It did not. At this point, I was pretty freaked out and decided to head back to the jeep. I walked with my rifle at the low ready, pointed at the ground, but with my finger resting on the trigger. I didn't tell them that I was heading back yet, I wanted to see if it would reappear. I got back to the clearing and took a look around, nothing. I turned and headed back to the jeep. I was walking away from it, then a scream came out on the radio. My squad mate screamed. I shouted back. I heard him scream again, I shouted, what again? As loud as I could without attracting the attention from the other jeep. He did not answer. I asked, what was going on? So I ran back to the jeep and jumping in, I didn't see the radio man anymore. What's going on, and where did everybody go? He had asked. Before I could answer, there was a crashing through the trees. We both jumped out of the jeep to see what it was. What we saw will haunt us for the rest of our lives. It was my squad mate, he was screaming, running straight toward us. He was bleeding from multiple gashes, and he had this black thing chasing him. Whatever the black thing was, it wasn't human. It was a mangled, twisted black figure moving like a man but not quite human. My buddy from the jeep and I stood there frozen in horror, watching our friend run towards us. We didn't know what to do. When my buddy saw that our friend was being chased by this thing, he turned and ran back. I just reacted, grabbed my rifle, pointed it directly at this being, I pulled the trigger, firing a spray of bullets on him. I don't know if it hit him or not, but he stopped, and when I stopped shooting, he then began to advance on me. I was about to take another burst at him when my friend jumped in the jeep and shouted for me to get in. I jumped in the jeep beside him after getting out to shoot at this thing, and he throws it into reverse and punches the gas. The tire spun, gravel flying everywhere as he tried to get us turned around for a quick exit. He finally got us pointed in the right direction, and we went flying back out the way we came. I looked behind us for any sign of that thing, but I couldn't see it anymore. As we drove on, I could hear my friend whimpering next to me. He had his hand pressed against the deep oozing gash in his right arm. I reached into the first aid kit and pulled out a field dressing, here, put this against the wound. He took it, pressed it against the injury, but not before I saw his fingers were raw and red. He had somehow gotten that gash without realizing it when he was running from the creature. We can now hear this thing chasing our jeep in the woods. It was paralleling us from inside the woods but just outside of you. We could hear it crashing around. This wasn't possible, I had shot it several times, and it should have been heard badly enough to be able to not keep up with us. After a few more minutes, the crashing in the woods stopped, and my buddy grabbed my shoulder and said, don't look back. So what do I do? I immediately turned around and looked back behind us. There were several of these beings running after us in the woods. I looked back at my buddy, and he was white as a ghost. I was trying to make out just how many there were, easily over four or five. And they shouted, what are they? I don't know, but we're not sticking around to find out, he nodded, 
and we kept going as fast as the jeep would allow us. The radio man is screaming, guys, what is that? And we shouted, we don't know, guys, we heard the gunshots. What is going on out there? My buddy overcame his fear for a moment, trying to explain what he saw as best as he could. I looked back and saw that those things were now running through the woods beside us, keeping pace with our jeep. This was unreal. I don't know how long we drove, but eventually, the jeep stopped in front of a guard shack at the same kind of base. I couldn't make out the insignia in the dark, but it did not look like anything I'd ever seen before. We got out of the jeep and ran into the shack. The two guards manning the gate had their weapons pointed at us. What is the emergency? My buddy stumbled, trying to catch his breath, and explained, we. We were headed to the front gate, and. And there's a thing chasing us. We were still in training, and we ran into something in the woods. Please help us. This thing chased us all the way here. The guards looked at each other and then the closest one to my friend pulled him over to a corner for a private conversation. I couldn't hear what was being said, but I could see my friend's face turn from fear to anger. The other guy approached me, I'm sorry, son. We can't let you in. I was taken aback by his words, what? I just saw my friend get attacked and chased by something, and you're not going to let us in? The guard's voice is firm but calm, truth is, you're not authorized to be here. I'm afraid we can't let you in. I was getting frustrated, nobody comes into this space unauthorized. You have to understand that. Now please get back in your jeep. I was dumbfounded, what's going on here? This is part of our base. The guard spoke in a firm and resolute tone, I understand you're upset, now please go. I looked back at my friend, who had a very defeated look on his face. I know it was pointless to argue, and we had gotten out of there quickly, doing our best to evade whatever chased us far into the woods. Everything had gone quiet, and we hadn't heard much of anything now. We eventually did make it back, and we were informed that what we had encountered was a part of our training mission. No further questions were allowed. The portion and part of our base that we tried to enter into did not allow trainees in, including us, which was a strict part of a military facility. Everything was coordinated for us to encounter these beings by the military as some sort of training operation. These are things I didn't learn until much later on. I went on to serve for a few more years and got out. I lost contact with all my buddies. I was part of the search and rescue for a while but that job changed. I became a park ranger and went to the forest service for that. Well, one day I was out with my buddy, whom we'll call Jake, he's a fellow ranger but a newbie. We had been told of some strange activity around this area right before a shift had begun. One of us had asked if they could give us more info on it or anything to go off of, but there really wasn't much to go off of. On our way out of patrol, something happened that still gets me sick thinking about. We were riding along in the truck, one minute just talking about stuff when we came up to some footprints near the road. These got our attention, and naturally so. The tracks were humongous, crossing into the woods across where we were driving down this back road. I stopped and got out to see what they were, which yeah, was a dumb idea if you ask me. Jake stayed in the truck, watching where I went. We couldn't talk because of radio silence and the fact that we had to be quiet, listening for anything unusual at all times. The tracks looked like they belonged to some large animal. They reminded me of those found near coyote skinning sites or something similar. I'm not saying skinwalkers exist, but it just seems strange with all this stuff going on, as well as these prints being so close to the sighting reports we had received earlier that day from dispatch. We made note of them and left them alone, but we followed our usual patrol route, moving further away from the road until we got to an area where some cabins were located. That's when we heard this whooping sound that was echoing off in the trees around us. It sounded like it was coming from all around, not just one direction or area but omnipresent, everywhere at once. It was coming from the woods and bouncing off of things, making it sound everywhere. 
We stop to see what kind of animal can make this type of noise and still have so much echoing going on at the same time. I looked over at Jake, who had his rifle promptly aimed in every direction, looking for whatever could make that noise. He was obviously spooked by this thing we knew wasn't normal. I looked back just in time to see red eyes glowing at me from roughly about a hundred feet away through the trees. I could tell it was looking directly at us, and it made me freak out even more than before. The creature then dropped down on all fours and began moving towards us fast, like nothing you would ever want to go up against in real life or death. I knew that thing wasn't any kind of animal either. It didn't move right, for one thing, and its red eyes were glowing like some sort of monster out of a movie. It seemed like it was attached to some sort of demonic monster, as we could see its shape start to form as it came out of the trees. Jake looked over after seeing the eyes too and let off a shot, hitting it in the shoulder. It was kind of hard to tell in the dark, but it looked like it might have gone down or if anything, disappeared into the woods without making another sound. It vanished like it was never there. I told Jake to get ready for this thing to come back as it screamed at us and let out this hellish howl coming from the same kind of creature. What were we dealing with? We tried to search for it afterward, looking for any blood trails or tracks, along with anything else we could find to explain this thing, but we came up empty-handed. No matter how long we stayed out there searching. That's when we finally got the word out to get out there and get back to the station as quick as possible. Something was going on this patch that could not be explained to anyone. We never talked about this again or brought it up, but I know Jake still gets a little freaked out even now, thinking back to it even after all this time has passed. Not counting those things he saw before getting me involved in any of this. I didn't believe him at first, but I knew what he saw wasn't normal, especially after hearing that awful noise coming from nowhere like an animal that nobody would want to run into. It could have been anything as far as we knew, but I knew it wasn't good. This thing was going to come after us, knowing whatever was out there probably knows I work here now, and it makes me nervous, wondering what will come next. I know that this thing isn't going to attack this place, since every time it showed up, we were always armed and prepared. But maybe we'll make the mistake of going out there unarmed one day, being vulnerable and caught by this thing. It was a hot and humid day in Texas as our Navy SEAL team set out on what was supposed to be a routine training exercise. We were deep in the heart of the wilderness, far from civilization, conducting drills near a mysterious black lagoon that had an eerie aura about it. Little did we know that this day would turn out to be anything but routine. As we approached the lagoon, we noticed an unsettling stillness in the air. The water looked murky and dark giving off an eerie vibe that sent a shiver down my spine. We exchanged glances, a silent acknowledgement that something was not right. As we cautiously stepped closer to the lagoon, the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. That's when we saw it, a pale, human-like hand emerging from the water. It had large claws and shiny, glass-like skin, covered in a clear liquid that seemed to glisten in the sunlight. We knew we were dealing with an unknown creature, and the tension in the air thickened. My heart pounded in my chest as the creature slowly revealed itself. It had a large, terrifying face with milky white skin and eyes that seemed to pierce through our souls. Its bluest veins under the eyes were like intricate patterns of power and dread. I couldn't tear my gaze away, even as my mind screamed at me to flee. The creature's tongue, long and serpentine, was the only thing moving other than the trees swaying in the wind. Its antlers, black like mold, sprouted from its head, adding an alien aspect to its appearance. This massive, deer-like humanoid stood before us, towering at a height of seven to eight feet. It exuded an aura of primal power and ancient malevolence. Fear gripped us all, but we were Navy SEALs, trained to face the most formidable adversaries. With adrenaline coursing through our veins, we readied our weapons, knowing that our survival depended on it. The creature roared, a bone-chilling sound that reverberated through the air, and charged towards us. The battle was fierce, and we fought with all our strength, each move precise and calculated. 
The creature's agility surprised us, and its claws were capable of tearing through our gear effortlessly. We could sense that it was not just a mindless beast, it was intelligent, cunning, and intent on surviving. Through sheer determination and teamwork, we managed to land a critical blow, and the creature collapsed to the ground. Its deathly cry echoed in the wilderness, making the very earth tremble. We had won, but the price had been high, some of our team members were injured, and the lagoon had turned into a pool of blood and turmoil. As we regrouped to analyze the creature and understand what we had faced, our commanding officer arrived at the scene. His stern face showed a mix of curiosity and concern as he demanded an explanation for the chaotic situation. Hesitant but honest, we recounted the events that had unfolded. To our surprise, the commander laughed, dismissing our story as an elaborate prank or a result of heat-induced hallucinations. Anger and frustration welled up within us as he accused us of lying, questioning our integrity. Determined to prove the truth, we led our commander to the corpse of the creature. However, as we arrived at the lagoon, our hearts sank, the creature's lifeless body was nowhere to be found. It had vanished without a trace, leaving only the eerie stillness of the black waters. The commander's expression turned grim, and he ordered us to conduct a thorough investigation. What was initially treated as a mere training exercise had now become an enigma, a mystery we couldn't ignore. We combed the area, analyzing every piece of evidence, but the creature had left no physical trace of its existence. As the sun set, we stood at the edge of the black lagoon, the unsettling silence engulfing us. We knew the truth of what we had encountered, but without evidence, our tale would remain just that, a story. This story happened to one of my dad's friends Everett, so here it goes. When most people think of Bigfoot, they think of some nice hairy creature that walks around the woods, has big feet, and doesn't like getting his picture taken. These people are dead wrong. Everett and his friend Milo were hunters. Ever since they were 16 they would go on hunting trips together. However, now being experienced adults, they were no longer hunting deer. This weekend, like most, they were going bear hunting in the mountains of Montana. Now if you don't know how bear hunting works, what you do is, you go to a butcher shop. Here they will have plenty of scraps from the meat that day. Pig guts, cow skin, chicken blood, ect. They would take these scraps from the butchers, put them in big, five-gallon buckets, and strategically space them out in the forest about a mile away from each other. Then, they would hike between each bucket, hoping to see a bear with his head in the bucket, waiting to get shot. So, Saturday evening, around noon, they get the buckets, get their guns, put them in their truck, and drive to their hunting spot. Everett and Milo each grab two buckets and their guns and walk into the forest. About two miles north from the car, Milo placed his first bucket in a little clearing, surrounded by forest. They then walk straight east about a mile and Everett placed down the second bucket. Then a mile north placed the third bucket. And finally, a mile west, and they place the last bucket. Now they had a big square of buckets filled with guts that they could walk around too. The day passes without incident. They spend almost the entire day walking between the buckets, and they don't see a single trace of a bear. So around 7 o'clock, it starts to get dark, so they decide they will do one more loop between the buckets and then head home. They walk to the second bucket. No bear. They dump out the guts and bring the empty bucket with them. The same thing for the third bucket, and the fourth. They are very discouraged and think that they'll go home empty-handed as they walk to the last bucket. But, as they approached around 9 p.m., the birds fell silent. This was a very good sign and usually meant that there was a bear nearby. As they got closer, Everett smelled something horrendous. It smelled like rotting meat, and it definitely wasn't their buckets. With their hopes high, and their noses covered, they carefully and quietly approached the edge of the clearing. In the middle, surrounded by trees, eating out of the bucket, was the biggest bear they had ever seen, with its back to them. It must have been 10 feet if it was on its hind legs. 
With Milo holding the buckets at the time, Everett grabbed his rifle, and scoped in on the bear. Getting a closer look in this thing, he realized something. It wasn't eating with its head in the bucket like most bears do. It was scooping handfuls of guts into its mouth, using its hands. The fur of it also looked like nothing he had ever seen before. It was matted all over and looked like it had things stuck in it. Everett turned towards Milo and pointed at the bear. Milo shrugged and tried to make a shooting motion. Everett aimed his gun back at the thing and got ready to shoot. Then, Everett heard something behind him. The thunk of a bucket hitting the ground. Through the scope, Everett saw the bear immediately stop eating, and turn its head and look straight into Everett's eyes. This was no bear. The creature's face, dripping with blood, was almost human-like. Flaring nostrils, mouth open with guts falling out. They were petrified with fear. The thing charged and human instinct kicked in. Milo dropped the buckets and they ran. They ran as fast as they could towards the car. But close behind them, they could hear the thing running after them, but it didn't sound like a bear, crashing through the brush. It sounded like a human, running on two legs. This just encouraged them to run faster. After sprinting in pure fear through the pitch black forest for 15 minutes, the only thing keeping them running from the creature was the adrenaline pumping through their veins. They were close. They must have been five minutes from the car when from behind Everett, he heard Milo trip on a log. Everett kept running. He heard the steps of the creature stop, but he kept running, and then through his crashing footsteps, he heard Milo's blood-curdling, heart-wrenching scream. It took all his willpower to not turn around for his friend. Finally, he reached the edge of the forest and saw his truck. He ran to the driver's side, got in and locked the doors. He waited in complete silence and fear for Milo. He waited for five minutes, for ten minutes, for fifteen minutes, hoping to see his friend burst through the trees. But he never came. After twenty minutes of waiting in terror, he drove off, trying not to think of what had just happened to his friend. Once he got home he immediately called the cops and searches began. However, Milo didn't have many family or friends besides Everett so the searches didn't last too long. After only a week, they gave up, and Milo's body was never found. I used to live deep in the Santa Cruz mountains and often hiked and camped there growing up. As a teenager I went hiking on a secluded trail and as I often would I'd take a nap on a sleeping bag I'd bring and take off my shoes and dip my feet in the creek. One day I woke up and my shoes were gone and in their place was a pile of rocks. I still cannot explain that one and it still freaks me out. I moved back when I was 25, and rented a small cottage on a very large property far up in the mountains of Bonnie Dune. It was really rural and secluded and pitch black at night. I'd often hear screams of coyotes in the distance. We had some cats on the property that were friendly and one had a litter of kittens. They were really cute and I would take them in and feed them. There was a point where I was all alone on the property and one morning I came out and one of the kittens was laid across my doorstep, dead. No trauma, no sign of anything wrong with it. It wasn't even cold enough for them to freeze. The little kitten I had played with the day before was dead. This happened for a week until all the kittens were dead and laid somewhere near my door in the morning. I was terrified. Soon after things started disappearing from my cottage. I ended up leaving pretty quickly. I never felt a sense of ease in those woods, they scared me my whole life and I don't know why. One last creepy Bonnie Dune story, I was driving down to town, a good 20 plus minute drive, around 4 in the morning and out of nowhere a mountain lion that was bigger than a grown man leapt out from the mountain onto the road as I was driving and it was the biggest cat I've seen in all my life. And of course I hit it and it splayed out, and my car at the time had some issues and was known for stalking out. There I am looking right at this pissed off or scared lion unable to get my car to start back up in the pitch black on an empty mountain road in the middle of the woods. I had to call the authorities but somehow the mountain lion slinked off into the woods and my car decided to start. The sheer panic I felt was 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's insane. Cody, Wyoming, midnight. I had just finished a very long day at work. I am a medical courier, and I am regularly on the road, staying in hotels, and life is never dull. This particular evening I wound up on a 500 miles drive that ended in Cody, Wyoming, at around midnight. It had been cold, it was December after all and this is Wyoming. The roads had been very so-so that night, they weren't clear, but they weren't treacherous, it was one of those drives in the dark where you were on edge the whole time. Staying alert for 500 miles in the dark, on roads that were nearly abandoned at this time of night, with light snow and heavy winds, it takes a lot out of a person. This particular week it had been very busy, I had been in four states that week by the time I reached Wyoming that evening. The drive to the patient's house was up a windy slick road, and the drive was uneventful. After I had dropped the medicine off to them and called the boss to let them know I had made it in and was heading to a hotel to get some sleep. Pretty usual conversation, we talked briefly about how much they would reimburse me for the hotel room. They always say $80-$100 it's pretty typical, and fair, since the cheap hotel in Cody, Wyoming is about that price. I however am 31 and a good night's rest, a good free breakfast, and a nice. AM soak in a hot tub are requirements for when I catch myself in a hotel room. I know that by the time I get to the hotel I have put on serious miles, so I treat myself, one, because if I am staying in a hotel it has been a profitable day and I can afford to treat myself just a little, and two, I feel better after a good night's rest, a great breakfast, and a nice soak. I will not name the chain of hotels I stay at but I frequent one chain because it's the best value hotel in my hometown, which is back in Nebraska. Tonight I pulled into the hotel, which I have stayed at three or four times now, so I am familiar with the place. I had called ahead about eight hours before when I was leaving Denver to call and book a room, and let them know they would be expecting me at midnight. I walk into the hotel with my bag, dusting off the snow that had fallen on me while I got my stuff out of the car and walked inside. It's very quiet, there's no music and the TV isn't on in the lobby. I wander to the counter, leaving a trail of wet shoe prints behind from coming in out of the snow into the lobby, my shoes squeaking as I approach the counter. When I get to the counter there is no one at there. On the counter is a bowl of ice cream, with a brownie from the restaurant connected to the hotel. The local paper is open to the comics page, and the Sudoku is half filled out with a pen sitting there. Hanging on the back of the chair is a small lady's coat with fake fur fringe around the hood, on the floor next to the chair are a pair on smaller pink and black Nikes, and a black purse. I figure that she, by the assumption of the coat, shoes and purse, is in the bathroom, so I stand at the counter quietly, waiting on her to return. I fiddle with my wallet getting out my card to pay for it and my ID. I scroll through on my phone and hook to the free Wi-Fi. 5 minuets go by. Then 10. At 15 minuets the phone starts ringing. I still had no idea where she was, and I had begun to get irritated, it had been a long day and I wanted to get rested before I got up and drove home in the morning. After the phone stopped ringing, and I started to get frustrated, I began to wander around the lobby, 
and behind the counter shouting hello, is anyone here? As loudly as possible. The area behind the counter is an employee-only area. I venture back behind the counter where a hallway leads to the back of house area connected to the offices, staff elevator, bathrooms, laundry and the restaurant. I venture down the hallway shouting hello, still no one answers. It is now 12.30 am. As I return to the counter and begin looking for a posted phone number for a manager, or someone of authority, the phone rings, the cordless phone still laying next to the paper she had opened. Frustrated, and exhausted I answer the phone, hoping it's someone who could tell me where the woman is who is supposed to check me in. It's not. It's another guest, who had tried calling earlier for a wake-up call in the morning. I explain to the gentleman on the phone my situation, and how I cannot help him. He states he is coming to the lobby to help me look for the girl at the counter. I had not found a number to call. Five minuets go by and the strange older man, with odd glasses and long unkept hair comes into the lobby from the first floor hallway. At this point I had been behind the counter, and had been shouting to the point I feared I may wake up other guests. I had wandered through the back area, the lobby and the front part of the restaurant, all while shouting, and no one responded. This guy had given me the creeps, and I was exhausted but on high alert, there was an employee missing, and a creepy guy who just happened to appear in the same time she is missing. Feeling nervous about this gentleman I stay prepared for any strange behavior and keep myself at least arm's distance from him the entire time. I explain where I have looked. That I have yelled. At this point I begin to go through what I call worst case scenario preparation. This guy could have easily overpowered a small woman. I may be standing here with a crazy person. I keep my space, and my back towards the main entry just in case. I am a grown man, just under 6 feet, I have had self-defense courses, and I have a CCW, concealed carry weapon, after encountering a bear at a patient's house in the fall. I have no reason to believe I am in immediate trouble but this guy just gives me the creeps. It is at this point I debate calling the cops. It's now 12.45 am. The gentleman tells me, maybe she's in the bathroom which I respond to that I had thought that myself, but I had walked by and yelled loudly when I walked through the back and no one responded. He insists we check the bathrooms. My red flag goes off and I put another foot or two of space between us as I let him lead us down the hallway to the employee bathroom. My heart and mind are racing at this point, did this dude kill her and now Hess gonna try to kill me? I start to worry about my safety as we go down a hallway that leads to small rooms and with one exit in and out. We reach the bathroom. He knocks and announces himself, then opens the door. The bathroom is empty. We check a few more rooms and the elevator and find nothing. We venture back to the lobby where I stand behind the counter looking for any phone number that could be a manager or supervisor. After about 10 minutes I find a number and someone answers. It's now 12.55 am the half-asleep voice on the other end of the phone is the maintenance woman for the hotel. Confused as to who I am and why I am calling I explain the situation as the creepy man stands on the other side of the counter staring at me in a dead cold manner. The maintenance woman says she will be there in 10 minuets or so. I hang up the phone. I walk around the counter still confused looking at her stuff there, as if she just vanished. It's at this point I decide to wander towards the lobby or seating for the restaurant. Once in the doorway I turn the corner and down at the end of the booths there are a pair of legs hanging out of the booth. I had walked within 15 feet of there while checking around before the creepy guy showed up. I see her legs hanging and instantly the pit of my stomach turns sour and a sense of dread comes over me. Suddenly the creepy guy walks right up by me. Thinking the worst I take a few quick steps away from him and down the row of booths in the dark restaurant. With him at the other end, I look in the booth where she is laying. She is maybe 20 and very pretty. I shake her foot, she doesn't respond. I shake again, saying hey. Nothing. It's at this moment the creepy guy starts down the booth that I finally feel I may need to defend myself. I kneel down to draw from my ankle holster as he quickly comes down the row of booths, 
and it's at this exact moment the girl wakes up and accidentally kicks me in the chest knocking me gently on my ass and stopping Mr. Creepy in his tracks, also stopping me from drawing a weapon. She had been asleep. Mr. Creepy was just a guest. Moments later the maintenance woman arrived and by 11 a.m. I was in my room trying to decompress. When I was younger and stupider and going to college in the North Georgia mountains, my friends and I would go night hiking a lot on the trails near campus. I got pretty familiar with the area, and being out in the wilderness at night in general, which probably made me too confident. One night the full moon was out, and the weather was perfect, so visibility was crazy good, everything was basically washed in dim blue light. I was slightly stoned, and feeling adventurous, and I love doing fun stuff alone, so I decided to go enjoy a night hike by myself. I took a flashlight, but this was around 2002 so no cell phone. I chose a super easy trail that was mostly flat or maybe a mile loop, in pretty secluded area, but not exactly a national park or anything, very rural area. I didn't even need my flashlight for most of it, and just hiked in the moonlight, it was actually a really cool, beautiful experience at first. At some point I started feeling uneasy, and maybe a millisecond later I heard a man's voice. It was coming from a good distance ahead of me, somewhere off in the woods, maybe from the right side of the trail. He was crying. I'm honestly an empathetic person, and 99.9% .9 of the time I hear someone crying I want to comfort, help them in some way, but this time I felt sick in the stomach, like a dry panic attack if that makes sense. I remember coming very close to calling out to him, because my brain was trying to tell me he might be hurt, which was the only reason I hesitated, but it was like my body shut my voice down before I could say anything, and I knew I had to stay very quiet. He was sobbing like he just found out a loved one had died, but also gibbering, and almost babbling, like he was less than a person. There was a shrillness to it, under his crying, like he was holding back a scream, but perpetually, on and on, as if he'd been doing it all night. I remember it vividly, and my spine is tingling like crazy even as I write this. It's hard to explain, but I knew deep down he wasn't right in the head, and nothing good would happen if he realized I was listening. I went back the way I came, it was like I had tunnel hearing, and the only sound in the world was that crying. I was hyper aware of everything else around me, and beyond paranoid that I would snap a branch, or snag my boot on something. I worried the man's crying would get louder if I wasn't paying razor sharp attention, getting closer, or turn into an outraged crazy person scream. Thankfully it just faded the further I got from it, and I made it back to my car. Still, I was convinced some wild-eyed hermit was going to rush out of the forest and bite me to death right up to the second I locked my doors and got the F out of there. I finally had the rest of my panic attack on the drive back. I managed to park back at campus, and I just sat in the car and collected myself. Adrenaline is powerful. I have never felt a shred of guilt about leaving the guy crying out in the woods in the dark. I know I was slightly stoned, but slightly is the key word there. I'm convinced to this day I was in very real danger that night. Definitely not as insane as most of the stories in threads like this, but sometimes I get that same sick feeling deep down, whenever I wonder what might have happened if the moon been less bright, or if I'd been more responsible, and I decided to use my flashlight even once. He'd have seen me for sure. I go out for walks very late at night fairly often, so I've seen a few things. The creepiest though, happened about two months ago. I left the house around 1.30 am, and it started off as a normal walk. I wandered around the town till about 2 am, when I decided to go home. I was walking back the route I had came when I noticed a black van meander down the street. Didn't really pay too much attention to it though, at first. I did pay attention though when I saw it slowly drive by me for a second time. I wasn't entirely sure it was the same van though, so I just continued walking. But this time I kept an eye out. And lo and behold, 
About 10 minutes later, the same damn black van came down the street again. This time I knew for sure because it didn't have license plates. Now I was fairly scared, so I picked my pace up a little bit. When the van came around again this time, it stopped in the middle of the road a few houses in front of me. I stopped, turned around, and booked it back in the other direction. I made a few turns onto different roads, and then ran right into someone's yard. I waited behind their fence, and the same van came down the street. I assumed that when they couldn't find me, they finally decided to F off. But I waited in that yard for about 20 minutes before I ran back to my house and practically threw myself through my bedroom window. I was a Navy sailor who went out to sea many times for weeks at a time. One of my jobs was being a lookout to spot boats, planes, things in the water or air pretty much and report it back to the ship. My lookout rotation could have me standing watch during the day or night sometimes both and it was during the nights where I was pretty afraid especially if you were at the back of the ship alone. For anyone who hasn't been out in the middle of the ocean in the middle of the night should realize you see many more lights in the sky than you would ever in a city. And on Navy ships they like to have very little lights on at night so standing watch around 1am feels very alien sometimes. And during the nights without a bright moon to help with your vision, you may as well be on a different planet. There was this one time I saw a bright green color moving in the water slowly and I didn't know what it was. My mind told me maybe it's a USO or something else. Eventually I was told it was just plankton but it sure looked freaky to someone who wasn't aware of the glowing plankton produces. Another time me and another guy were standing watch together and I decided just to look up during 2am and see what things I would come across the midnight sky. I would see meteors streak across the sky but a couple of times there were bright lights moving slowly way out there. Perhaps a satellite, maybe who knows. But I stared for a good 20 minutes in the sky and encountered approximately 15 of those slow moving lights in different areas of the sky perhaps many millions of miles apart. Either way those were the few times I saw for myself how vast space really is and that there was so much unknowns out there that humans have yet to discover or explain. Early November 1984. One Saturday my friend calls me and says get over here, I found a ton of grouse. My mom drops me off and we start hunting his neighbor's property, with permission. We flushed nearly 20 grouse in an hour. Shot one each. Most of these were bumping some of the same birds, I'm sure but they were everywhere. I did not hunt with my dog that day as mom wouldn't allow her in the car. One week later my uncle and his friend come out, as they always do, to hunt our property. I convinced them to go over to the place from last week. I call, get permission, and off we go. We pile out of the truck with my English setter and my uncle's Brittany. This is old growth woods, mostly oak and other mixed hardwoods, mature trees with grapevine tangles all over the place, old dead falls etc. We are pushing out the north side of a long spur ridge that runs about a three mile in length. The plan is to get to an old gas well out on the point of the ridge and loop around the south side back to the truck. We pushed probably half of the way out the ridge, flushed a couple birds and had a few tough shots. Suddenly there is a raw shot, clearly fired in our direction. We continue forward not really thinking much of it until a second shot and then the impact of a bullet on a tree, between my uncle and I. My uncle yells out and another shot follows, another tree hit, bark flying. We can't see anything. We all yell again. Another shot and a bullet goes whizzing over my head. At that, we call in the dogs and back out and up to the top of the ridge. Pretty pissed but realizing a couple 12 gauges loaded with 6 shot are not going to match up to a rifle very well. We get over the ridge and start down the other slope and back toward the truck. There is a rough service road that goes out along the top of the ridge to the wellhead. We were a good 75 yards down the south slope and moving when we hear a vehicle. Off come the orange vests and hats and called back the dogs quickly, 
Leash them and I for one was all but laying on my girl as she was 90% white. I was behind a huge old oak but it felt awful small when the black van stopped directly above us. Out comes a guy with a rifle in his hands. He walks over and stands there, looking down the hillside in our direction. Probably 75 yards away. After what felt like an eternity, he slowly walks to the rear of the van looking our way and then gets in and slowly drives away. We waited a while then slowly worked our way back to the truck with vests and hats tucked inside our jackets, dogs leashed. We got out of there okay and back to the house. I called the local state game officer as he lived only two miles away and was good friends with our family. He forwarded the information to the state police. They never found the van. That was a very terrifying experience realizing that you could do nothing if confronted, never saw the shooter until he got out of the van and even at that distance, we were powerless. Since that day I never leave the house with just bird shot. I take five slugs with me anytime I go out with just a shotgun. Was hunting behind my house as a teenager, it was a quiet morning just barely daylight, no wind or anything. I was sitting behind an old fallen oak tree, watching the squirrels play, and all of a sudden the squirrels were gone, just out of nowhere. I knew that usually means that a predator is around, coyotes were pretty bad that year so I prepared myself to shoot a couple. Senses up and eyes on the lookout, I see something move way in the distance, so I eased my rifle up getting ready and that's when I heard it. An extremely high-pitched scream, sounded like a woman getting murdered, coming from the area that I saw something move. I didn't know what it was at the time but I was terrified. I looked out through the trees and saw what it was, about 75 yards away was a big black cat of some sort. It looked huge even from that distance, I took my rifle off safety and sat there watching it, I didn't want to shoot it for I didn't know if it was legal or not. I watched it for what seemed like hours listening to it growl and grumble, trembling the entire time. It finally disappeared deeper into the woods and I noped right on out of there. Told my dad who then called the game wardens, they said it sounded like a black spotted leopard, I'm not 100% sure. That's the only time I've seen it, we heard it screaming one night a couple of years later but after that nothing. It had been a year since the strange screams or yells echoed through the new construction development. The memory of that eerie night still lingered in the minds of those who had heard it. John and his wife, Sarah, were the first residents to move into their newly completed home in the peaceful neighborhood. The couple had brushed off the chilling encounter as a mere mystery, until one fateful day, a related Bigfoot experience brought the memory rushing back. It was a warm evening and John and Sarah were settling into their new life. The bedroom windows were left open to welcome the gentle breeze. As they were about to drift off to sleep, a series of blood-curdling sounds pierced the silence. The chilling cries started softly, then escalated into gut-wrenching screams before eventually fading away, only to return again. It was an unsettling sequence, R, repeated at the same tones, sometimes punctuated with eerie ahs. Puzzled and concerned, John's initial assumption was that someone was in distress down at the cul-de-sac, a newly paved circle below their house, where a few houses were already under construction. That area had already become a popular makeout spot for high schoolers. He quickly put on his pants and slip-ons, instructing Sarah to call the police while he rushed to investigate. The cul-de-sac was about 200 yards away from their house, and as John drew closer, the source of the bizarre screams became clearer. To his surprise, there were no cars or teenagers around. Instead, the howls seemed to emanate from the dense green belt nearby, teeming with brush, blackberry bushes, and tall Douglas firs. The eerie cries persisted for several minutes before suddenly ceasing, leaving John with an eerie sense of unease. When the police arrived, John informed them about the haunting sounds he had heard. With flashlights in hand, they ventured into the green belt to investigate, but nothing was found. 
The officers reassured John that they would check it out but found no evidence or explanation for the unsettling experience. Feeling somewhat comforted, John returned to bed, trying to forget about the night's strange events. However, life seemed to have other plans. Over the following months, reports of Bigfoot sightings began to emerge from the Wallowas or Blue Mountains on the eastern Washington-Oregon border. As more stories surfaced, the pieces of the puzzle began to fall into place for John. He couldn't help but wonder if the chilling screams he had heard that night were connected to these mythical creatures. Curiosity got the better of him, and John started to research Bigfoot sightings, finding stories and accounts that closely resembled the sounds he had heard. A year after the incident, he stumbled upon another person's related Bigfoot encounter that had taken place in the same region. This confirmation only intensified his conviction that what he had heard that night was indeed a glimpse into the elusive world of Bigfoot. From that day on, John found himself drawn to the mysteries of the unknown, seeking out more stories, eyewitness accounts, and possible explanations for the bizarre occurrence in his quiet neighborhood. As he delved deeper into the realm of Bigfoot lore, John couldn't help but marvel at the inexplicable wonders that existed beyond the realm of human comprehension. And so, the night of the elusive howls became etched into his memory, forever connecting him to a world of cryptic secrets and unexplained wonders. I grew up in rural Michigan in a small ranch-style house with four brothers and a younger sister. We lived in the country with few neighbors and more woods and farmland around us than people. It was a Saturday morning in early fall. My parents were out jogging a few miles away from our house. This was back in early 2000 so no cell phones or way to communicate with them. My older brother was left in charge of all of us, which wasn't out of the ordinary. While my siblings sat inside watching cartoons, I headed outside to shoot my bow from the elevated platform that we shot 3D targets out of. This was my first year being able to hunt for big game with a bow as I was now 12 years old, I was excited for the season to start and shot as much as I could. Where I was shooting my bow was about 25 yards from the house, with several trees around the platform, which concealed my location. I had just shot my first round of three field points into the 3D buck target when I heard a loud slam coming from the house. At first I didn't think anything of it as my sibling are pretty rowdy and assumed they were just roughhousing. The second time I heard the slam I realized the sound was coming from outside the house. This was odd to me because I had told my siblings I was going to be shooting my bow and we have a strict policy of no playing in the yard if we're shooting. My father was very stern in this rule and it was never broken. Peaking my curiosity I peered through the tree branches. What I saw next made every hair on my body stand on end and sent a shiver of fear through my body. A disheveled man was on the side of our house and was fidgeting with the door handle and attempting to open the door and use his shoulder to get in. He twisted at the door handle and again slammed his shoulder into it. He had on a grey and black plaid coat that was unbuttoned and had a rip in the back. He had blood on his hands which smeared on the white door as he tried again to open it. His pinky and ring finger on his left hand were visibly deformed. His hair, to his shoulders, was grey, matted down and unkept. He had dried blood on his face. His blue jeans were dirty, torn, and wet. He tried the handle again shoved on the door with his shoulder and when it didn't budge, he stepped back. He looked around, and looked in my direction. My heart pounded. I was frozen with fear, but felt confident he wouldn't see me as I was around 10 feet off the ground hidden in the leaves. Multiple thoughts went through my head as I tried to figure out what to do next. He was still trying to work the door handle as I lowered my bow down with the bow rope. Every so carefully and calculated, I climbed silently down the ladder to the ground. Once down I picked up my bow, pulled an aluminum arrow tipped with a 85 grain thunderhead broadhead out of the quiver and again laid eyes on the strange bloodied man. I wanted to run up to the front of the house and try to get inside but feared he would hear me pounding and come after me. There was no way to contact my family inside, and it appeared this man had an ill intent. 
Just when I was trying to decide what to do next my oldest brother peered out the window 20 feet to the left and held up a piece of paper that said 911 and motioned for me to get back up in the shooting platform as this strange man was in between me and the safety of the house. I held my bow up, gesturing to him should I use my bow and arrow? He shook his head, and motioned for me to get back up in the platform. I took my broadhead off put it in the quiver and again hooked it to the bow rope and snuck back up into the elevated perch. After the door hadn't budged, the torn and tattered man turned around and was wandering off back towards the driveway behind our house. I stayed in my position and watched him with the broadhead once again knocked on my string. My knees were shaking, my nose was running from the massive release of adrenaline and my heart pounded. Just then I heard a car pull into our driveway. A two sheriff deputies stepped out of the car and came around the back of our house and shouted for the man to get on his knees with his hands behind his head. The two officers apprehended the man and placed him in the back of their squad car. I climbed down and sprinted into the house with my siblings, adrenaline still pumping through my body. Shortly after this my parents had come back and the neighbors came over. Apparently this guy was drunk at 7 am and had driven his vehicle over the guardrail and into the creek by our house. Not wanting to get a DUI he fled the scene. He wandered to the neighbor's house and had attempted to steal their car out of the garage, and when that failed he went to the next house and tried to break into their company garage and steal a four-wheeler. When he was caught in the act he ran into the woods and they had called the police. My brother informed me that the guy had tried to get into our house and knocked on the door and drunkenly fell back on the ground. When he asked to use the phone, we only had a phone with a cord, and my brother would not let him use it and asked him to leave. The guy got agitated and then apparently tried the side door. Maybe he thought he was at a different house because he was so drunk he didn't realize he was at the same house? I'm not sure, but seeing that guy bloodied and trying to break into my house with my siblings inside is still burned into my memory 20 years later.